Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze, and it felt a little like... <laughs> Time to go. Okay, kids, back in the room. Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com US to learn more. longest shortest time we know you got problems you can't get your kid to eat their broccoli you can't get them out the door with their shoes on you can't get your teenager to tell you anything enter our show's creator and executive producer hillary frank for an upcoming episode we need you guys to send in your baby problems or teenager problems anything in between and then hillary's going to be answering your questions using answers from other parents the advice is all coming from her upcoming book, Weird Parenting Wins, available now for pre-order. There are 400 strategies in this book, and they all come from you guys. So you're pretty much helping each other here. To send us your problem, email hello at longestshortesttime.com, or there's a contact form on our website. It doesn't matter how frivolous these problems are. I bet you another parent has cracked the code, and Hillary can tell you how to make your life just a little bit easier. Okay, now on to the show. You guys might know that I used to host a dating podcast. And some of the guys who listen to that show, they'll message me sometimes like, yeah, maybe I'll listen to the longest, shortest time one of these days. Don't you guys just talk about like family stuff? And that's when my head explodes because stories about family are some of the richest, most interesting stories you can tell. Breaking Bad, Walter White... He's cooking meth so he can provide for a family, his teenage son and new baby. Mad Men, Don Draper. He's trying to manage the trauma of childhood poverty and abandonment while raising his own children. And Stranger Things, Joyce Byers is a single mother who just lost her son. If you look closely, the heart of most shows you love probably revolves around family. And that's just TV. Don't even get me started on books, movies, comedy specials, and <gasps> video games. I'm Andrea Slenzi. This is The Longest Shortest Time, where we are here to remind you that parenthood, it makes for riveting subject matter, even before it was a show on TV. So we've gathered a panel of culture writers to recommend amazing things to read and watch that tell stories of family. Single guys... These are for you, too. We invited three panelists to our studio. Each one brought a couple of picks to talk about, new releases and old ones, and any spoilers that we're going to be sharing are for things that have been out for at least a year. First, we have poet, memoirist, Rachel Zucker. 
poetry and television to me seem to be entering a golden age that feels really exciting. Rachel has three boys. And if Rachel sounds familiar, it's because she was on episode 159 talking about her complicated relationship with her mom. Next, we have Janet Manley, a senior features editor at Romper and mother of two little kids. I was like a very cool and collected individual before I had children. And since I've had kids, I think that's softened me up a little, (laughs) Uh, a little bit more flex in my metal. And lastly, we have Aisha Harris, an assistant TV editor for The New York Times. Fun fact, Aisha and I used to work together at Slate, and we recorded our podcasts next to each other. And memorably, I once had to run into the hallway to beg her and her podcast guest to quiet down. And the guest turned out to be actress Pamela Adlon. She brought me pickles from Juniors, or a pickle from Juniors. (laughs) (laughs) Pamela's show, Better Things, there are two seasons of it available from FX, And it's Aisha's first pick. Pamela Adlon plays Sam Fox, who, like Pamela in real life, is an actor with three daughters. Good morning, Mama. No offense, but in my dream, you died. Oh, wow. The show has covered getting your period, wanting to, like, date boys, or, like, wanting to have a party without her mom there, which is, like, I totally have been there. But I think my favorite episode comes from this season, where Sam gets upset because her children don't seem to appreciate the work that she does. They're, like, watching TV. Yeah. Oh, for a there's second. her mom. Oh, oh did they never what? That's not the channel it's on. They're like, whatever, mom. Okay, I don't care. Forget it. They'll love you when you're dead. That's right. When you're dead, they'll watch all of your stuff and they'll be amazed at what you've done. They'll say beautiful things at your funeral about how they were always inspired by your career. No. And Sam's like, I don't want to have to wait until I'm dead for you to appreciate me. I want it now. The kids and two of Sam's friends have created a faux funeral for her. Yeah, like right in the middle of the living room. Here lie Sam and Duke. And also Duke, because Duke is the baby. In attendance, her surviving daughters, Frankie and Max. And Max, actually, what she says about her mother is really, really touching. I never watched my mom's shows. Ever. I never saw any of her work. And I don't really care about what she did because she's mom. And I was jealous that people knew her before I did. And I never wanted to share her. Not even with my sisters, because I remember when it was just me and her. Even when my dad was there, it was just me and her. And I know that was hard for her, but I loved it. So I don't like that she's famous or on TV. She's my mother. If you watch no other episode of this show, like, watch that one. Absolutely. My friend Aaron, who watches the show, both of us were like, where's my funeral? (laughs) When am I getting my funeral? I need this funeral. I mean, we were both hysterical. That is kind of the fantasy that you get to have it both ways. Die and see what you meant to your kids, but also stick around for as long as you can. (laughs) The first thing you do when you have a child is think about dying immediately and wondering, you know, what you're going to leave your child. It's a conversation I've had with mothers and with artists a lot. The other thing about the show that I really love is her mother. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) Her mother, Phil, who is this, like, older British lady 
who's very prickly and is also dying. Um, but she, and conveniently lives across the street for TV <laughs> yeah. reasons. Yes, it happens. Wasn't she naked at one point, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, which is something that, of course, like my mother would often take off her clothes in public. And so I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, I think that having a difficult mother and having to parent with a difficult mother and being caught in between your responsibility to your parents and to your children and seeing some of yourself in your children, in your parents, it, to me, the, the idea that she lives right across the street is so horrific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm so sorry. But at the, at the same time, it's also really helpful. And that, to me, seems very consistent with many, many of my middle-aged friends' lives. I also really—it's such a small thing, but the way that she loves Duke. Duke the youngest. Yes. And you get these glimpses of the fact that Duke is, like, a bitch. Juice or dare? Um, dare. You have to put four monopoly houses or a hotel up your vagina. But you said there. Yeah, she's she's a little I, terror sometimes. Yeah. I have to go home and binge watch the rest of better things now. Yeah. <laughs> and side note, Pamela Adlon has announced that there's gonna be a third season of Better Things coming out in 2019. And Louis C.K. won't be involved. He worked on the first two seasons, but he stepped down after admitting to sexual misconduct. Our next pick, also from Aisha Harris, is a delightful coming-of-age comedy set in 1962. A heyday of hairdos and hairdos. We shall overcome someday. Not with that hair, you won't. It's Hairspray, directed by John Waters. And we're talking about the classic 1988 movie. Not the musical, or the movie based on the musical. It's set in John Waters' hometown Baltimore. Tracy Turnblatt is the main character, and she's a teen girl who desperately wants to get on the Corny Collins show. It's kind of like a, an American bandstand kind of show. But Tracy is overweight. She is, quote unquote, you know, not the most popular teen in the world. Aren't you a little fat for the show? I would imagine that many of the home viewers are also pleasantly plump or chunky. One of the things that I love about this movie and that connects it to family is the fact that there are all these different types of parenting that are happening uh, throughout. You have obviously Edna Turnblad, the mother of Tracy Turnblad. Could you turn that racket down? I'm trying to iron in here. Who is Divine, who was a famous performer who frequently collaborated with John Waters. He's he was, a drag queen. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was a drag queen. And he often played women, very bold, loud, abrasive women. Edna, at first, like, she's, like, against her daughter being on the show. There, there, look! It's Tracy! Oh, my God, she's all peroxided up. Once Tracy blows up, one of the local business owners... Welcome to the hefty hideaway house of fashion for the ample woman. Hi, I'm Mr. Pinky. And he's like, I want you to model my clothes on the Corny Collins show. And so Edna's like, okay, but what else can you do for us? Mr. Pinky, I'm Tracy's business manager, Edna Turnblad. Would, uh, would she be paid for this? One free outfit a month. You just let Tracy take her pick. How about a fabulous frock just for me? Tracy will have to work one extra day for free. It's a deal. Thank you, Mr. Pinky. <laughs> and as she sees what Tracy is able to accomplish, she buys into it. Literally. <laughs> That's our little baby. Oh. 
She's prettier than Elizabeth Taylor. I love that Edna starts off kind of like a, not a terrible mom, but she's definitely not the most supportive mom. Over time, Tracy befriends some of the black kids in her neighborhood. We've been worried sick about you. This neighborhood is certainly no place for a star. Now get that car before someone sees you. Because this is, again, it's 1962. Right. And then part of the movie involves Tracy pushing to integrate the Corny Collins show. Towards the end, Tracy gets her mom and her father. They say, oh, we've joined the NAACP. Tracy, honey, you were right about everything you said about integration. We joined the NAACP. Now, this is not a perfect movie by any means. (laughs) There are some parts of it where you look back and you're like, "Mm," like all of our favorites are going to be in some way not perfect. And I think the fact that this movie is just really weird helps. I don't know about you, but I feel like dancing the bug. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about books, books for kids that will leave you changed and books for adults that explore motherhood and all of its complexity. Your nightstand is going to thank us. Don't go away. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze. And it felt a little like... (laughs) (laughs) Time to go. Okay, kids. Back in the room. Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com us to learn more. Welcome back. I am here with our panelists. We have TV lady Aisha Harris, we have poet mom Rachel Zucker, and Janet Manley who's super up-to-date on everything hot in kids' books. Artists are gravitating toward creating picture books. Um, So you're seeing some really interesting works that are, I think, very complex artistically, and the stories are very experimental. Janet's first pick is a picture book that came out this year, Square by Mac Barnett and John Klassen. And when Janet told me she wanted to talk about Square, picked up a copy, read it to myself, and I gotta say that I relate to this protagonist more than a lot of characters in grown-up books, which is weird because he's a shape. But listen to how Janet describes him. You know, he's like a square with eyes and sort of legs, and he lives in a land full of square blocks. And we're told that his work every day is he goes down beneath the ground, takes a block, pushes it up a hill to another pile of blocks. And then in the book, Square gets mistaken for this amazing sculptor, and Square has to figure out how to make a sculpture of his friend, Circle. Uh, But he's not an amazing sculptor, so it goes badly. And he has a sort of Seinfeldian moment where he just is like screaming. He's just like, ah, looking at the sky. So relevant to my life. (laughs) (laughs) It has a very definite kind of meta 
level that you can read it at. This sort of fear of failure, this fear that we're all like jokers and imposters. So Square is like the PBS of kids' books. <laughs> yes, I do divide our children's bookshelves into sort of highbrow and lowbrow. So unfortunately, love is a truck. I relegate to sort of a trash read, right? <laughs> but uh, Square and Triangle, I put in the upper echelon of what we are able to read. Do kids need all that? You know, how much is this for you and how much is this for them? Yes, parents are certainly the consumers, but also my daughter likes to act out a lot of the books, especially, you know, because of her age. She's not yet reading. And it's fun to read this book because it allows you to help ask some questions about the pictures or help kind of explain or explain it a different way the next time. I mean, you know, I've been reading to someone for 19 years because I read to my older boys and I'm still reading to my 11-year-old. And it is one of the purely good things for me about parenthood, the act of sitting and reading. I mean, I really could almost burst into tears right now. And I think that there's also something about this act that you're describing of being literally in the same room with someone, having to explain something that maybe someone doesn't understand. But you don't need to have a child to read YA books, middle grade books, or picture books. They are a genre in and of themselves that is extremely powerful. One of the best books that I've read recently about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings is a book called Jefferson's Sons. Some of the descriptions of slavery and the relationship between Hemings and her children was some of the most incredible, powerful, and forthright descriptions that I've seen. Janet, let's keep going down your list. Uh, the next book you're recommending is also a picture book. This one's written by Cynthia Lenore Garza and illustrated by Alyssa Bermudez. It's called Lucia, the Luchadora, and the Million Masks, and it's for three to seven-year-olds. Lucia's from a family of luchadors, those, like, amazing superhero Mexican wrestlers. And in the Million Masks, her little sister, Gemma, is getting her own luchador mask. The story about sibling rivalry and, like, your poor little sister who just really looks up to you. And it really took me back to how I felt about having a little sister who was constantly borrowing my things, accidentally ruining my toys. It's also interesting that I don't think that the messaging about her strength or her importance are kind of overplayed. We do that sometimes in a very heavy-handed way. This book does it very lightly. You know, there's nothing worse than being told that you can do anything when you don't necessarily sense that that is true of the world. Isn't that a huge trend in children's literature right now to have these mini biographies of powerful, famous women through history? Like this narrative of like, girls can do anything. Girls are super strong. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I... I even, which I didn't have when I was a kid. I feel like we have like Powerpuff Girls, right? But it definitely has turned into sort of like even Barbie, I feel like. like didn't she get a job and... Yeah, yeah, she got she, a job and she can do whatever you want. <laughs> isn't it bullshit, Andrea? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying like we shouldn't celebrate stories of amazing women, but this idea that representation or telling the stories of a few extraordinary women means that you can do anything. I want those stories. I just said like, oh, yes, seeing better things, seeing myself in that character is really important to me. But... There's another part of me that feels so angry when I see these representations of, you know, against all the odds, instead of a, a more complex look, even for children, about institutionalized racism, about misogyny, about gender inequality. I don't know. I'm, I feel I have a lot of feelings about that. 
I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got mailed a review copy of a book for babies, and it was all feminist icons throughout history and what they looked like when they were babies. (laughs) (laughs) Baby feminists, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, here's Frida Kahlo. Here's what she looked like when she was a baby. Were these (laughs) drawings of them, or was it actually them? Drawings, drawings, yeah. Uh, It's like Muppet babies. Yeah. (laughs) No, and I think it's funny because in the parenting space, everyone talks a lot about, well, we're leaving out our boys. I don't know that getting my son like a book of baby know, feminists, baby Amelia Earhart. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what my son will necessarily take. <laughs> I, I think those are a good example of who are those books for. So, guys, we know that baby feminists, they grow up. Some of them make podcasts. Some of them write books. And, Rachel, you included a book on your list that kind of feels to me like um, the Ulysses of the feminist canon. Yes. So the first book is called Midwinter Day. It's by a poet named Bernadette Mayer. It is a poem. Don't get scared. I know a lot of people hate poetry. This book is really unusual. It was written all in one day on December twenty second, 1978. When Bernadette was writing this book, she was living in Lenox, Massachusetts. She had three young children. She was married to the poet Louis Warsh. And the book is sort of about their day. It starts in a dream state, and then they go out of the house, and they go to the library, and what do they get, and and feeding the kids, and, and actually, you know, writing this. There's a description in here about her daughter having a very normal run-of-the-mill temper tantrum. And you really feel, because she's in the moment. It's a really beautiful description of that. Can we hear yeah, the tantra? Yeah, yeah, Tantra, it's a sound echoic of the trumpet's blast. Marie Maria Calais, she's talking about her daughter, is having a tantrum in the library. She won't surrender her books. She won't put on her coat. It's a violent, willful outburst of rage and annoyance, like not having a room of one's own or the love of another. It's a bad fit of temper caused by the extremes of temperature. Nothing is mixed properly in her. She is excessive, rude, full of drama, intense fits of pinched proportion, freaking out. I mean, it goes on. There's not a single period, which is what it feels like to be with someone who's having a tantrum. Like, could you just take a little breath? You know, um, and I just, you know, love just, it's just all, she's just trying to get her kid's coat on. That's all. They just need to leave the library. The line that stood out to me of that was nothing is mixed properly of her because it reminds me of feeling that way, both like as an adult, but also as a child. And maybe this is true of all families, but like in my family, there is always that one story of me being two years old in a Macy's with my mother and like, I don't know what set me off, but I was kicking and screaming to the point where my mom had to call my father to have him come get me. <laughs> and and I can only imagine that, like, she was feeling just like that. And it's even worse when you're, like, in public. Like, I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah there's something I've been hearing a lot of moms talk about recently, especially with daughters, about maybe rethinking some things about tantrums. Parents are looking for ways to tell their children to say no and to not back down and to not be quiet. Did you really write that book in a day? That is one of the most fascinating questions because, like, when did she do it? Okay, so I want to move on to your last pick, which is a graphic novel called Are You My Mother by Alison Bechdel. Same Bechdel as that Bechdel test, which some people use to test the representation of women in fiction, named for her because she made a comic about it like 30 years ago. This book is about her queer identity and relationship with her mom. 
I love this book, Are You My Mother, for a lot of reasons. And Alison Bechdel did not have children. And I find it to be incredibly important to read authentic, deep, complicated stories about motherhood by women who are not mothers. I feel that they have a perspective that is deeply important to me. And there's something about the way that Bechdel um, navigates the sort of her own memory of her childhood against her relationship with her mother and her sexuality. I learned something very, very profound about my own motherhood, certainly about my own daughterhood from reading this book. And it was also, even though it's very, at moments, incredibly moving, it's also really fun to read. Graphic novels are a form that I love, especially graphic memoirs. There's something about the form that feels really immersive to me and deeply emotional, like the experience of reading it. But it also allows me a little bit of the distance that I feel when I'm watching television. Despite, you know, that I'm a poet, that's my favorite medium, (laughs) television. (laughs) After we taped this, I actually picked up a copy of Alison Bechdel's book, Are You My Mother? And, you know, while some graphic novels I love use the medium to depict superheroes or create vivid imaginary worlds... Bechdel's work is so literary and textured. She's creating scenes out of phone calls with her mom, her dreams at night, conversations with her therapist. The imaginary world that she's illustrating here is her own internal life. In a bit, our panel talks about the future of family-related media. What are they excited about? What's missing? Stay with us. Can you say advertisements? Yeah, no, The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. We're back with our panelists, Janet Manley, Rachel Zucker, and Aisha Harris. I'm curious about what you guys are thinking about in terms of where family-related media and storytelling is going. What's missing? Are we excited about its future? I mean, I think we're seeing, I mean, not that these haven't existed before, but I think we're seeing more examples of media that imagines family not being in the traditional sense. Something like Pose, which is a brilliant show that premiered earlier this summer. It was a Ryan Murphy production, and Ryan Murphy can kind of be hit or miss. In this case, it's very much a hit. Stars a wonderful cast of actors who... A lot of them are actually trans, and it's set in the 80s, and it's all about the black and brown queer ballroom dance scene. And it's all about them creating these families because they've been ostracized or kicked out because of who they are. And so seeing those types of families being depicted in film and TV, I think, is is very important, and I think is where that is going and where we're, we're seeing that. Stories like... That Kind of Mother by Ruman Alam that came out this year. You know, and I think a book like that created a way to look at what are the mechanisms by which we give our kids 
pieces of our values or our psyche, I guess. This has been happening for a very long time, but I think that the awareness and kind of widespread consumption of these ideas is at an all-time high right now. Yeah, I think things in some ways are getting better, and certainly there's much more representation. Although, I don't know, has anyone ever talk about menopause? Does anyone ever really want to talk about, like, female sexuality in their 40s? You don't see that. There's still many, many taboo areas that, like, nobody wants to talk about. The pressure to not be honest about women's bodies and women's stories affects men as well in highly detrimental ways. But on the spectrum of stories about mothers from Carol Brady up to Sam and Better Things, you know, like, I feel like we are seeing a more complicated richness here that might feel more true to your experience. I think there's a lot of people working to kind of create more space for any number of experiences. I think that's been very true in children's lit. You know, especially YA has had a very big push toward diversity. Yeah. And there's even Ladybird, which I think did a really good job of showing another sort of mother-daughter dynamic and also weaved in a little bit the idea of like not having, being able to provide as much for your child financially. Like I think we're seeing more shades of that. It just came to mind that moment in boyhood where the son is leaving for college and the mom, she's just sitting there crying and saying, this isn't really what I thought my life was going to be like. I mean, that's kind of a portrait of me pretty much every day. We want to hear from you. What are you reading and watching that's about family? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 178. And guys, Rachel, Janet, and Aisha, they brought in so many recommendations that we actually couldn't fit everything into the show. You can find them all on our website. Thank you guys so much for coming in today. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, I head to a Target parking lot with writer Kim Brooks. Let's see. I see, oh, I see a mom with a little kid. She has him by the hand, but he's not completely cooperating. It was in a parking lot a lot like this one just a few years ago, where Kim made a parenting choice that got her arrested. You won't want to miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Just go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. Stitching!
The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more.